0: You. Small don't say Self help from the hip Small donce We're talking that shit Small and keeping it real small with me and then it seals It's <laughs> so funky <laughs> (laughs) Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of Small Doses. You know, we are the podcast that just keeps on giving. I I really am proud of us. We continue to just level up and we are doing that again today as we sit down to talk with one of the producers, directors, creators of the Showtime docuseries, Everything's Gonna Be All White, that I am featured in, along with a number of other smart black folks and along with a number of others smart, funny BIPOC folks. I think one of the things that I really loved about the series is that I think there's an expectation that if you do a docu-series that is rooted in uprooting the uh, falsehoods of white supremacy, that it's like just specifically going to be about black people. But then you realize like, oh, wait, but white supremacy has no boundaries. Uh, um, I I mean, y'all didn't even go into the Asian bullshit of it all.
1: We tried. <laughs> we tried. It is so hard. It is so hard to have three episodes and have everything in three episodes. You know, we um we had yeah, we had a whole lot of stuff that just didn't make it. But what made it made it.
0: So yes. And so we have <laughs> Jolly Brown Cepeda here. I did not know that you are Sasha's stepdaughter. Yes, I am. And Sasha Jenkins is one one of the great minds that put this together. And you've seen a lot of Sasha's other work. Uh, He was a part of Ego Trip. So if you've seen any of the documentaries on Showtime, like uh, the James, the Rick James James. documentary, and I mean, I just watched the Showtime documentary on Video Music Box. I was like, wow. Uh, But, you know, when you combine all of you guys' minds together, you get this dope ass product, which is Everything's Gonna Be All White, this project that. I feel like it's so incredibly timely when we are watching the effort that is being made by white folks to really, instead of curb your enthusiasm, curb your education. Say it again for those in the back. <laughs> so yes. tell me, Jolly, like, how did you all even like get on the road
1: to doing this particular docu-series? So so it started in 2017, and yes, it started in 2017. So it's been years in the making. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, the pre-production part, I guess, or just the you know pitching it part, really took the longest. So in 2017, Sasha and I, you know, talked about race, racism, as we do, as people of color, black folks, BIPOC folks, and I read. The History of White People by Nell Irving Painter. And I said to him, I was like, oh my God, like, did you know? And it's all, I mean, it's all about white people, you know, starting from what they were dealing with in Europe prior to colonialism. And then, you know, what race or how race was, you know, started. And it was just very informative. And I learned a lot of stuff through through this book. And so, you know, Sasha and I came up with this idea for, it was originally called the C word and the C was for Caucasian. And then I mm. wanted the C to be for caucasity, but there's already um, a podcast. podcast out that was called the C word. So we couldn't really do that, but I still call it C word in my head. And, you know, in the beginning stages of the process in the like initial, initial decks, it was really historical and kind of like chronological. So in a different way than how it is today. And it really centered, you know, uh, the black experience in the United States. And obviously, you know, as, as time progressed, I was like, Oh wait, well, you know, we can't, talk about racism xenophobia and all of these power structures without talking about everyone else you know indigenous people we can't talk about for example episode two you can't talk about gentrification without talking about reservations and the whole movement for land back and things like this And so over time you know it kind of became what it is today but it was interesting because it took a long time for people to say yes we went to all of your favorite networks and they were like yeah you know it's a it, it's a pass and obviously 2020 happens. And one of the great things to come out of 2020, we, the collective Mm -hmm. we know that, you know, we have been uh, Mm -hmm. the the victims of marginalization since 1492. Mm -hmm. Um, However, you know, the the rest of the world uh, realized 2020 was like, oh, my God. It was. It was a lot I had of that. Idea. <laughs> it was giving. I had no idea. And <laughs> we used that, you know, to our to our benefit. And we we came up with this show. And what's so different about it is that. Truly on like the, the writing team, the producer team, the editors, like we're all people of color. I am Black, American, Indigenous, and Dominican-Puerto Rican. One of the editors is half-Korean. You know, we had a writer-producer who uh is Chicano from LA, right? So we had so many different points of view. And I, you know, I was the youngest on, on the team, I was the only lady in uh the the um what? creative team. Yeah, so it was really dope to be in a setting where like our white counterparts who, you know, they always bring in their family to help yes. bring their fruitions to life. It was really beautiful that I was able to be brought in through Sasha. And that more importantly, he listened to me as a woman, as a younger, you know, person, right. as a multi-ethnic person who's coming from different backgrounds. Having that conversation about in, in the Heights and colorism with, with Black Latinas at the end of, you know, episode three. How did three. that even ha- That was my idea. That was my idea. Well, I'm glad you (laughs) inserted that
0: because I don't even know. I think that was also like an incredibly important way to address media also because that was a unique pathway in because I don't feel like there's enough conversation around like the erasure of Afro-Latinos, right? Yeah. And so it was like you hit a lot of birds with one stone because it's like we're talking about erasure but we're also talking about that with a specific group but then we're also talking about just pop culture in general and how pop culture continues to perpetuate I don't understand how In the Heights got made and nobody was
1: like hey yeah you know and like I as someone who is from up there, I was really hurt. Because as, you know, a teenager, I went to go see the Broadway production. And obviously Broadway has more, you know, yes. people um, who are from the, the diaspora. And I loved it. I was like, oh, my God, I see myself and my neighborhood on stage. I had never seen that before. And I was really annoying because I was like a theater kid growing up. So I was like, oh, my God, this is for me. Did I? Like, you Did know, I? yeah, I <laughs> yeah. was I, I, I was And then, you know, I I didn't watch the whole film because I just, I I couldn't sit through it. And when it comes (gasps) to, when like, honestly, when I think about, like, Latinidad, I'm very nervous in the way that, or when European immigrants, you know, came at the turn of the century, 20th century, and then had to become white, they couldn't necessarily, as whole groups, maintain, you know, their their backgrounds. Their culture, yeah. Their cultures as Hungarians, as Romanians. It's happening um, within... Let exactly. Exactly. Cubans
0: in Miami are like, please let us be white. Please.
1: Exactly. And what I'm, you know, kind of like frustrated by that, you know, in the heights, I think represented was yes, we have very similar shared histories and, and we share languages, but even country to country, island to island, our languages change. You know, even country to country, island to island, we have different music. Like, how can you not have bachata and have like dude smoking hookah on a corner and talk about exact Washington Heights? It's I'm Dykeman!
0: Like, how you do how you do Dykman without Dykeman?
1: I'm like, I have literally been there my whole life, uh, save the past three years, and no one just breaks out in into flamenco dancing. Like that doesn't happen. Um <laughs> You know, so I was just really um I like get I okay. wanted to have keloké, that- okay. <laughs> yeah, like there wasn't even like a keloké okay <laughs> in in the thing that I you know up until I saw it. Um, and so when it goes, you know, like going back to that segment, I just wanted to provide something for my people. You know, and I, I have many people, but yeah. a part of my people who. You know, like we're really not represented. And so providing that space, it was like a four hour shoot. And I wish that people could hear that whole conversation because it was just amazing. It was amazing.
0: You know, I really did appreciate just the level of unique voices. Like, so when I saw Mel D. Cole up there, I was like, how did Mel end up in here? So y'all have to understand Mel D. Cole is a photographer that. I spent much of my 20s and 30s with because Mel and I, Mel was like always with The Roots. He was always shooting stuff with The Roots. And we just like had the same group of people that we were always around. And I could publish a whole book of just photos that Mel has taken of me (laughs) from being in the mix. And so Mel was on there talking about his experience on January 6th. And I had no idea that he even went out there for that. But I thought that was such a dope... Way to speak about January 6th because I had never heard that perspective. I've seen these white people talking about you know their thoughts. I've seen us talking about our point of view from it at sitting at home watching it but exactly. for Mel to be the black man that I know he is and be in that space it had a lot of gravitas like it really touched me because so much of the white foolery that goes on feels almost theoretical like it can yeah it, 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 it's so ex- extreme. That it can feel surreal, and so when you're talking to someone who's like, "No, no, I was there."
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I couldn't imagine having been there. You know, like as as you know, episode one starts off with this kind of like a uh, joke that while everybody was doing their their January sixth thing, all of us, you know, uh, BIPOC folk, we, we we're home, you know, cooking, chilling, chilling uh, just like watching them, like with popcorn. My mom like, texted oh my God. me like, "I think something going on at the
0: Capitol." <laughs> <laughs> It's like, gotta know what you're referring to. TV. I think something going on at the Capitol. Yeah. <laughs> Not even no, it, sure of like, you know what I mean? It's still like, I think something maybe.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, to center his voice, I just, you know, I, I was so happy first of all that him and Sasha have a rapport so he was able to feel uh, comfortable to talk about that because it was a very traumatic experience if you were there, at which I wasn't, um, but as you know, a, non, a non-MAGA, a non-16er, you know, like it's very traumatic And I just couldn't imagine being in the middle of all of that caucasity. I'm going back to that word um, because it's my favorite word. But I just, you know, I think like centering our opinions and experiences of that day is something that other media, you know, hasn't necessarily done well. And even though we we were not the majority there, that day spoke a lot and speaks a lot to, you know, um, just our standings here in in this country and everyone you know knows that obviously once that happened all of us were like, oh, if we did that, or if it was Black Lives Matter, or any any other organization that centered, you know, the rights and and liberties of um, people of color, it would have had a different outcome. But being able to like talk to someone who not only was there, but 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 photographed it, and you know that that's something that's um, it's very heavy. And obviously, as you know, and maybe other people know too, Mel photographs a lot of you know social uprisings and instances, happenings, and so to to move. That center, you know, black folk. And so, like, to move the lens to this, um, I mean, it's just so fascinating. And it's historic, you know? He is history in yes. the making. Yes. And his work that day will forever be, I hope, you know, uh, honored because that was heroic. That was very heroic to yes. go there, you know?
0: It was heroic for y'all to go where y'all went with this docu-series. So for a lot of, we, we dove right in, but can you just give people an overview of like, what is everything's going to be all white? I think on the surface, some people think it's like, well, when you have the idiots on YouTube, they're like, this is attacking white people. And it's like, it's attacking white supremacy. If you consider yourself a white supremacist, then you will feel attacked.
1: Exactly. But
0: I would love to hear how you got, that's actually a good thought that I need to say more often. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So can you give us a framework for those who have not gotten the the joy and honor of seeing this piece of what to expect?
1: Yeah, so everything is going to be all white is basically a tale of what it means to be us in a white supremacist state. Again, you know, the fact that this nation and all colonized uh, nations was founded on colonialism, guns, germs and steel. And, you know, we have these isms that continue to plague us from that time. And again, it is not that long ago. Like, I always like to say my grandmother's father was born in 1895, you know, so it's like that's not that long ago, Uh, the 1800s. School is obviously not teaching people, um, you know, uh, timelines and like chronologies and stuff. But basically, you know, it's a show that that centers our voices and it centers our opinions. And for those who haven't seen it, we have everyone speaking from, you know, scholars and authors to rappers to activists to porn stars. And that was very important to me to include uh, Daisy Ducati and Lotus Lane in episode three, we have comedians, we have um, people who are just thinkers. And none of, you know, it's not saying that we all have the answers to these big issues, right. but it's saying this is how we're processing it. And this is what has happened to us. This is where we currently are. And this is what we hope for the future. So episode one obviously is centering the capital, but we're not in the Capitol, where we're like we're really talking about race and racism and where that even came from. Um, because you know, people. Even though we know it's a social construct, um, I think people need to be reminded that this is something that was enacted to maintain power, right? It's all about power dynamics. And I think that everything is going to be all white really is a look at power dynamics. It's a look at ideology. It's not a finger pointing at individuals. It's a finger pointing at ideology. And to stress that, you know, people get so defensive and people don't want to hear that. But it's like, like you said, if you don't agree with or align with said ideology, then you shouldn't be offended. You know, like my white friends love the show; they think exactly. it's hilarious. Like they're like, "Girl, I, like, I just, I can't." Well, they don't say "girl," but they're like, "Jalie, you know, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe that y'all created this." So, episode one is about the capital. Episode two then kind of goes back and looks at Indigenous America or Indigenous Turtle Island, as I should say, and uh, gentrification and that sort of connection between land back reservations. Project housing, inaccessibility to just basic, you know, rights like healthcare, yeah. um, uh, proper food, resources, mm-hmm. right. And and then episode three is more about media and uh, pop culture. And episode four is this really cool. Um, it's like a bonus episode. It's a panel of all uh, different folks from different backgrounds. Uh, no white people are interviewed in this entire um, series, which is very important to note, and that was a conscious choice because whether we are looking at history of this country or history of India or, or history of, you know, what they call like the French Caribbean. So much of our histories are penned by the supposed victors who are usually white, right. European non-melanated folks. And so we wanted a, a opportunity to, you know, um, let us tell our histories and um, hopefully folks will watch this for uh, the years to come. And Yeah, we we really went hard in trying to talk about so much in such a short amount of time. And I, of course, wish that we had more episodes and more space to unpack uh, the things that we didn't get to. But, you know, we did what we could with what we had.
0: What are some things you didn't get to that you would have liked to include? And that if you were given the opportunity to do a part two, what are some things you would love to include?
1: I would love to include, obviously, the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes and the way that, honestly, a lot of our people have been, like, perpetuators of that because I think that there's something interesting when it comes to xenophobia in this country. It's a very American thing, and there's a lot Mm. of people who, despite what your background is, whether you're Black, white, Latino, Indigenous, there's a lot of xenophobia, you know, that this country just oozes. And I think that what we're seeing with a lot of the spike in hate crimes... I think that there's an opening of that conversation to say why, you know, why have some of our people been the ones who are perpetuating these crimes and have that be an opening to um just the American project of xenophobia? I think that's interesting. I also think what's interesting would have been talking about like more indigenous fights and struggles for land. A lot of people know about the No Dapple protests. I was heavily involved in that with the uh, Dakota Tell me about that. Oh, yeah, the, the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline in... Um, in uh, It's North Dakota, isn't it? In North Dakota, yeah. On one of the Sioux reservations, you know, um, the fact that they weren't just protesting the fact that water is life and water is sacred and, and and they're sovereign nations, but they were also protesting what goes along with, you know, the introduction of non-Indigenous people into Indigenous territories. There's right. a lot of, like, when you look at uh, casinos, for, for example, there's a lot of, you know... Rapes and murders and kidnappings of indigenous women and children that are perpetuated by people who get drunk and go to the casinos. Lots of reservations are dry because of you know uh, instances of alcoholism in in those communities. And then if something happens to these women and girls, they can't be tried in the U.S. you know court system or judicial system because they are sovereign nations and it has to go through tribal councils and tribal court systems. And so there's you know I want to talk about that how you see um, in Hawaii, in Mauna Kea, you know, people, so many elders for months now being arrested, protesting the uh, construction of a giant telescope on what these indigenous people believe to be the birthplace of their people, you know, uh, this mountain being where People came from Similar to the Black Hills Which we commonly know As Mount Rushmore You know, the sort of Desecration of sacred spaces For indigenous people I think would have been An interesting uh, conversation Mm, I would have loved To spend more time Talking about uh, land grabs When it comes to the U.S. Not only about Puerto Rico But about Dominican Republic And how they tried to annex DR About Guam About the Virgin Islands You know, like Why is it that we are still um or just opening up that conversation of you know uh the current day colonial territories I was gonna say, of the neo
0: colonialist imperialism
1: You know, so I want, I mean, I had, I had a lot, I had a lot I wanted to talk about. Um, I just, you know, I'm like a forever student of, of the world and of just life. And every time I see something or hear something that sparks my interest, I'm like, that should have been in, everything's going to be all (laughs) right. And that should have been in, everything's going to be all right. You know, so...
0: I mean, this is the type of information that is really just actively being fought, right? Like, there's so much energy and just resources being spent right now to really try and snuff this out from people's consciousness. And and, and it's not even common consciousness, right? Yeah. Like, the, a lot of the things that you're saying are considered to be, I feel like, niche information. Like, a lot of, like, regular folks don't know anything about... The Black Hills. They don't know anything <laughs> yeah. about, you know, North Dakota and the like pi- they, they may have heard something in the back, like, oh, yeah, yeah the pipeline or something. But, yeah. You know, I think I would have loved to, if there was a part two, I would have loved to see you guys talk about environmental racism that goes on in the way that, like, Black and Brown communities are so often juxtaposed next to places that are providing less quality air, you know, less quality water. When you look at Flint, when you look at places like Marathon Detroit, when you look at, I remember I went to, I was in Portsmouth, Virginia, and they had a government housing and playground next to a coal plant, And so there was coal soot on the sand of the children's playground. And these kids had like crazy levels of asthma, you know, and... I mean, Aaron Brockovich, like that—that that movie is
1: not just like a movie. Like the, you know, yeah. these are real things. So the Bronx, you know, certain sections of uh, the Bronx that that have terrible um, air pollution. Oh my god, you know. So I, yeah. Oh, part two, <laughs> part two, part two. Part two.
0: <laughs> no, I, I feel like you know the 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 truth about what we're talking about though is the fact that these stories number, right? Like, yeah, there's a whole other docu series that could be done just on the way that Black communities were drowned. Yes. You know, yes. the way that Black communities... Gentrification is like a light term for yeah. the way that Black communities were literally just renamed, drowned, you know, burned down, et cetera, et cetera. And when you look at just the proclivity of this type of behavior within this setting, you realize, like, this is not an exercise in generation. Like, this isn't just like a facial. Thing Like, we are still in the midst. I think we forget because there's McDonald's and there's, like, access. Like, we forget just the level of heinousness that is happening on a regular basis. We can look at, like, South Africa in the 80s and be like, man, apartheid was terrible. And because we don't have, like, maybe something, like, as clear-cut as, like, holding cards, it seems like that's not what's happening here. But in very, very, very many ways... It is. And so this documentary really illuminates that and it does so in an irreverent way. And that's the special part of it for me. Like, you know, with Smart, Funny and Black, like, that's the goal. Like, how do we yeah get this information out there, but do so in a way that's not necessarily
1: heavy handed, even though it's heavy. Right? Exactly, and that's why we have these like random little like pauses yes. in, in in the show <laughs> with like Mad Chad and Rhonda, and like they're meant to be caricatures, like they're yes. meant to be overbearing, and they're meant to be the voices of folks who are watching the show mm-hmm. and and who may say, oh well, you know, reverse racism and everything else that goes with with that <laughs> foolery, and like it just we didn't want to create just another thing that had like somber music talking about racism talking. About the issues, like no, you know, it's there there are moments where you laugh and you're not even sure if you're supposed to laugh, and like that's what I love, (laughs) you know. Um, And then we have that like white rabbit commercial in episode one, you know. So we we really tried to do it different, and you know, uh, thankfully we had some uh, leeway. I wish we could have done more, like, actual commercials, like, parody commercials. Yes. That was my goal. But, um, you know, time goes by so fast. It's when, literally when hurry up. It's
0: like, wait. What is it? What do they say? Like, hurry up and wait? It's the opposite. Like, they make y'all it wait, is. wait, wait, wait. And then it's like, okay, do it now. We only have five minutes to get it done.
1: Get exactly. It done. I know
0: you've been doing this in 2017, but now you only got two months to get it done. Do it. Do it. Do it.
1: You know, and I was just like, okay, well... Well, we are here, and we're going to try, and we're going to show up. But, you know, I think, like, yeah, um, my opinion about, like, all this stuff, like, when you talk about racism, it's absurd, you know? Like, it's such an absurd creation, right? Like, and to be absurd doesn't mean to take away the gravity of racism and its effects. But if you look at the thing of racism and how it was, you know, created in a school in Germany, the Göttingen University, that's what I wanted to do. We wanted to go there and actually look at the skull collections of, of the men who created race, literally two guys. The eugenics of it all. The yeah, the eugenics of it all. Obviously, COVID, you know, didn't make that happen, but oh, yeah. it was COVID
0: that prevented that.
1: COVID, yeah, and then also just again timing, having people, you know, uh, like outreach. Um, I'm not fluent in German. <laughs> uh, I don't even know. I don't even know a word in German. How do you say black in German? I think it's svart, something like that.
0: Oh, that's black in Swedish. Never mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, like it's just it's so absurd, you know. So um, I hope that when people watch this thing. They understand or see, or some people, those who are supposed to get it, they see the absurdity. Do you have bison on your pants? I do have bison on my (laughs) pants. I (laughs) do. My little brother picked these out for me for a Christmas gift when he was like five. And I love them.
0: They're awesome. They're perfectly in line with this conversation because they talk about how one of the ways that white people were able to get the indigenous people's lands was to starve them by exactly. eradicating their primary food supply, which was bison.
1: Exactly. It's all in line.
0: So tell me this. What were some of the pushbacks that you guys received in this process? I know at the end of the day, we're still creating in a white capitalist construct. Mm-hmm. So even when we're given the opportunity to do stuff like this, mm-hmm. it's still under a watchful eye.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, some of the the pushbacks was that... Um, Uh, Each episode was a bit, um, you know, it went from this topic to that topic. It was a little... Erratic, and what you know, Sasha and I would always say is no. Like we're always thinking about these things, the you know, of like consciousness. it's it's stream of consciousness, and that's why there's so many different elements. And yeah, we we weren't able to stay in certain elements for uh, you know a whole episode, but that doesn't mean that we're not thinking about these things. And so we wanted to to create in a way something that that showed that, like, oh, okay, we're talking about the capital, but then we're going to think about this, and then we're going to go here, well, and our brain's going to go these there. Things. Thanks. Yeah, so 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 that was always funny. Like, oh, like this is a lot, and it's like, yeah, well, for our you. existences are a lot, you know. Yeah. Or it's not even that, you know, like being be, like for for me, being black, being Caribbean, being Latina, being Indigenous. These are all beautiful multi-layered. things. It's multi layered, and it's and it's beautiful. Um, it's not exhausting, you know. I I see these uh, uh, quotes on Instagram, like, oh, like being black is exhausting. I'm like, absolutely not. It's everyone else's treatment of and yes. you know uh, and handlings of us that is um, you know, exhausting. But I think it's it's beautiful and it's badass. and it's just a, you know, testament to the strength and willpower obviously of of the ancestors, both biological and just you know spiritual. But you know, like to feel like thank God we we were able to go so many places, but you know to 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 hear at certain uh, stages, oh, it's a little bit much. like yeah, Yeah. Well, living here is a little bit much, you know, but thankfully we were really able to kind of like run, run with, with it and do what we wanted. And uh, we were very adamant on, you know, like, no, these are important. Every element here is important. You know, for example, the In the Heights conversation, you understood the importance of having all of these Afro Latinas talking about this in a Dominican hair salon run by, founded by a Black Dominican woman in Washington Heights, who has a whole organization that's for, you know, Black girls in DR, Haitian girls in DR, talking about centering hair and, you know, using that as a way to access power. You can't, like, you can't explain that. You can't explain that, you know? And I was like, we have, we. this is multi-generational. We have, you know, actual people who are from here. And, you know, it was like, well, people have had this conversation already. I'm like, no, people have had one-off conversations, but there's nothing like this, you know? So that was an interesting one. And also, one. like, why, oh my God, like, this stuff just be so dumb to me. Like, yeah. people have had this conversation
0: already. It's That doesn't surprise me that that's something that would get said because it definitely feels like we're when you're dealing with folks in these positions that don't have true allyship they're still looking at you through the lens of other and through commodity so to say like we've already had this conversation it's like when did you hear this conversation (laughs) yeah and what makes you think that there isn't more to be said And what makes you think that there isn't nuance in the fact that it's now housed in this situation, right? Like, there have been conversations about hair, and there's going to continue to be conversations about hair because people are still sending their kids to school, and their kids are still
1: coming home with their hair being cut by a teacher. Yes, Yes, exactly, you know, and and again, like, the nuances of so much, or so many, rather, of these conversations that we were having are nuances that, like, we understand, and, you know, thankfully... We did have allies on on the team who, you know, just said, "Okay, we trust you and like we understand that we're not going to get it. But, you know, obviously push back from others. And it was just, um, you know, like the porn conversation to me is like one of the most important conversations that I wish we had more time to explore because it just really speaks to the primal, uh, you know, nature of of folks in this country of white folks in this country. Can you, know? you just set up
0: for people who haven't seen the doc just what that conversation kind of was centered around? Because I was actually, I learned something new watching that.
1: Oh, yes, yes. So um, we interviewed Daisy Ducati and Lois Lane, two adult industry uh, entertainers who are making spaces for Black women and women of color in in their own respective ways. One has a podcast, one, you know, is able to create her own content. And basically, they they were talking about uh, the terminologies that are used, mandingos, and and cuckolding, and like, you know, the the, uh, genre of like white men or like a (gasps) white couple. This is what Um, I didn't know about. Oh, girl, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, oh, you know, like the the um, genre of like white men watching their white girlfriend be uh, dipped down by a mandingo, which is big, you know, virile man, black man, you know, um, straight out of the jungle, which is, you know, the that's what. Is being alluded to. It's very King yes. Kong, you know. Yes. It's very, it's very that. It's very um, the acquisition, the sexual a- acquisition of the white damsel in distress. And when you think about the history of this country and the present of this country and and the Klan, one of the you know people, the institutions that have been protected so long have been white women in this country, even though they enact violence all the time. Historically, you know, Um, and even though we are in a better place of allyship, it is still happening. Um, And so they were talking about being black women um, in in this field, having to be in certain scenes like this or be in scenes where. You know, there's racist language being used. And I think, again, like when it comes to sex and sexuality, it's such a primal thing. And so to want to, you know, see a white woman uh, gang banged by black men, you know, it's like it's a psychological, I think, um, sort of like diagnosis on this country. And like, what what does that say about us? Like the same people. And this is the part I love that um, one of the girls said they were like the same people who have on like the MAGA hats are also the same people watching like you know uh mm. black women uh you know in, in these scenes the <laughs> ebony and then that right like language and how black women even in in adult entertainment there isn't an equal pay equity. field like there that. isn't even pay equity <laughs> there like A white woman in a lesbian scene, in a biracial lesbian scene, or an interracial, excuse me, lesbian scene, will be paid more oftentimes than the black woman or the the non-white woman in this interracial scene. So, like, really? Like, even in porn? Like, that's wild. And when I found that out, I was like, oh, that has to be in the show. Like, (laughs) we need to hit them where it hurts. I still can't believe that this show exists and that we were able to do this. Well, what has the response been like
0: to you? I mean, Sasha had hit me and was like, I just wanna know if you how you doing, you know, I know you've been getting a lot of DMs, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, I mean, I expect nothing less, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm I'm used to having people say like the worst things because obviously, as like black women, women of color, we don't even just receive online. Oh, I don't like so and so. It's always violent. Yes. It's always like, I want you to die. Yeah. Or you know, I've had people tell me that they want me to be killed by cops. I've had people Thank tell you. me that they hope I'm raped. I've had people tell me, yep. you know, all the things that I've I heard. Just all
0: heard- these hit tunes. Yeah, uh, I've heard. All-
1: mm-hmm. These are all the tunes, uh, the top 100, <laughs> <Is> it- <laughs> and you know. <laughs> (laughs) like honestly i have to say you know in the beginning i was very nervous um not because of the work i was very proud of this work and it's art so people are going to like it people aren't going to like it right but now we're in a time where people can't just disagree it's usually accompanied by violence and that was something that i was you know nervous about and you know it's it's unfortunate like even with these you know, folks who have unfortunately been, you know, uh, brainwashed by the system, uh, who are the you know, black the folks.
0: I'm seeing MAGA blacks. So, but like so in, many.
1: It,
0: it was fascinating to see how many black folks who aren't even necessarily MAGA, Right. Like they don't even consider themselves right wing, but they're yes. watching this or even just hearing about it and saying, well, this is racist. And I'm like, yeah. how do you not know what racism is? There's nothing racist about
1: identifying facts that are rooted in racism. Exactly. And, you know, not everyone who... like, Like, you can have a racist idea in your brain and you are not necessarily a person who is going to be a malicious racist acting on that racism. You know, I've met people who some of them didn't want to hear me, you know, call them out. But if I call them out about something, they're like, oh, wait, I didn't even know that that was racist. Like colorblind ideology to me is racist. You know, like I understand the premise of wanting to treat people equally. I do not understand the premise of seeing a person and saying, well, I don't see your experiences. I'm just going to treat you like you had everything handed to you because like that just it doesn't make sense. But I feel really sad for the people who can't or who see everything's going to be all white, or see any other, um, you know, show book article podcast that talks about these things that feels like you know um oh well this is wrong like it's just such a disservice you know i think that like the miseducation in this country has been such a disservice to the same people who are trying to uphold this miseducation of this country you know um one of the things i wanted to put in uh the show that we didn't have time was you know looking at um you know pre -pre pre-civil war civil war and then reconstruction you know Mm -hmm. how how there were lots of white indentured servants who banded along with you know enslaved black folk free black folk uh, runaway black folk who who were coming together and then what happens the white government the one percent incentivizes them with finances with lands etc and says oh even though y'all are you know just the same uh, class wise Mm -hmm. uh, you're better because of your skin color we're going to give you money to like now become bounty hunters etc and so i just like it's really concerning to me that like you know the descendants of maybe these people who who were fighting alongside us and and fighting for this you know collective liberation uh, are out here like. Being crazy, and being, like you know, being like, crazy, just being crazy. You know, some like you. You can use all my mom. She she likes to call them like thousand dollar words, like you know the college words. You can use all of that. But when you go down to it, it is crazy. It's madness. It's chaotic. Yeah. It's insanity and it's absurdity. And so again, we weren't able to really uh, be rooted so much in like the history as much as I would have liked to, because I love history. But I, I think that you know, if people just take a look back, just one one century, or 150 years ago, you'll see how what is happening today, like, you know, it just it doesn't make sense. And it's just all lies and it's all fallacy. And for, like, Black conservative Twitter and YouTube and Instagram that's been, like, coming at the show, like, I just I feel like I feel for I feel, them.
0: Yes, I feel for them.
1: Like, I'm not even mad. I'm just like, wow.
0: Like, I, it's pitiful. Yeah. I feel pity. Um, <laughs> I feel pity. I I feel like... I don't know why, but you were in my spirit today because for some reason I woke up with Eddie Palmieri, uh, Puerto Rico, like in my head. Like for some, I literally woke up with like "Isla Linda." (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Why is this in my head all of a sudden?" Uh (laughs) It be like that. The script. We have a segment on the show called "The Script" where we give our folks some supplementary materials that go along with the conversation. And you were just saying how much you love history, and you just wish like if people knew a little more, you know, then they could really understand more. And though with this podcast, like we're talking to a friendly audience, we're we're preaching to the choir, so to speak. Yeah. I think what what really happens, though, is we arm folks with language that they can then disseminate into their own communities and that they can feel more confident about challenging. I think a lot of folks in 2020 did awaken, per se, but the folks that already knew also then felt more compelled to say, "Okay, now I need to be more vocal about when I see shit. And so, you know, when we have shows like Everything is Gonna Be All White, when we have conversations like this, and then when you provide them with your suggestions for the script, it helps to give people more confidence in challenging. So any suggestions, any books, any docs, any etc.?
1: Yes, I am a book person. I love me some books. So um, (laughs) obviously, The New Jim Crow. I think that that's Mm -hmm. just like everyone should just have that book um, by Michelle Alexander. Alexander, uh, Medical Apartheid, which we kind of speak to. I wish we had more time to speak about it in episode two Mm -hmm. by Harriet Washington. um, Talks about the experimentation on, you know, black women, on women of color and also on on poor Irish women in the north as the um, f- foundation of kind of like modern day gynecology, um, very important for sterilizations of Puerto Rican women, of indigenous women on reservations, all still happening, all very important. Stamps from the beginning, obviously, by Ibram X. Kendi, who yep. was in the show. Um, yep. I was, very, I was, very, I was, happy I was very
0: happy to see that too. I was
1: like, oh, y'all got Ibram, all right. I was like, okay, here, here we are.
0: Official tissue
1: official cast by Isabel Wilkerson because that book I th- you know and I'm sure you understand like you you've been dealing with this too like I I get so frustrated that everything that talks about like inequity in this country it's about racism it's like no racism is not the only thing racism is a tool and there's casteism, and there's classism. classism, and there, you know, there is sexism. There is sexism. There is misogynyism. You know, like mm-hmm. it's all the isms and all the knees. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that that book really, you know, uh, does well in uh, talking about that. This bridge called my back. Uh, writings by Radical Women of Color um, by Gloria Anzaldúa. She's an incredible Latina, Chicana feminist um, who, whose work has uh, totally inspired like multiple generations of of Latinas, um, including myself. And she's an indigenous woman. There is, of course, like I have a whole web. So I have a website. Um, I was going to and- say this is going to get too long. Is the- <laughs> I was like, I feel like you have a whole database. I do. I'm. I'm literally like sifting through my website right now. I have a, a library section and an anti-racist resources Where section. Where can people see this? Um, so. It is on nuevayorkinos.com. Nuevayorkinos is my archival project that I started in 2019 that documents and preserves New York City's Latino culture through family photos and stories. Because we are a dying breed, This city is gentrifying like many cities, and I wanted to do something about it. So, archiving is a, a passion of mine that I um, have been working on. And so, on nuevayorkinos.com/slash-anti-racist-resources, you could find all links to articles books podcasts uh what to watch what to listen to organizations to follow and to donate to uh mental health resources resources for teachers who are trying to be um you know on on the right side of history um and the resources for uh, kids and for teenagers themselves so please uh go go to the website and buy your family some books for uh, their birthdays and mother's (laughs) days and all that good stuff (laughs)
0: the last dose well thank you so much I really appreciate you like you know sharing so much not just information about the show but just information in general this is like my joy these you know having these educational podcasts that still have humor in them and that really just continue to just empower people to know that like Knowledge really is, in my opinion, knowledge is the ground floor of empowerment. You know, Absolutely. it really you can't fight if you're not really sure what you're even fighting for.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I'll just say super quickly before we close, but like I know a lot of things, but not because I i know them. I was raised in a network of, of people in an intergenerational household and households that taught me the importance of knowing this, you know, like my grandmother, she was a law librarian for thirty years. My Afro Indigenous grandmother who had a a huge and I I wanna get one for my home, a huge map of Turtle Island of the United States, nice. but with but with no states uh, designated, just like indigenous nations and like where where Ooh. where they uh, are and where they were. You know, my parents, you know, I have I have two dads and a mom and I have all the aunts and all the uncles <laughs> and everybody was just adding to the Seeds, pot. You know, yeah. it was it was all like, like little seasonings here and there. So that's why it's so important to teach yeah. Um, within your own communities and within your own families, because you'll never know your child or your niece, nephew, whatever, your aunt, your uncle may um, be exposed to something new that you may know, that, that they may not know. So I am a product of my community, um, and I just hope to continue to make the community proud for as long as I can. Well, you are doing a
0: great job. For those of you who do not have time, get the uh get the trial. Okay. Get the trial. Get the, the trial. My family. Get, the trial. <laughs> Get the trial. Check out Everything's Gonna Be All White. It's an incredible documentary. Thank you all for having me on Everything's Gonna Be All White because I really, this is what the whole point of getting my degree was. Like, this is where my real passion lies, is like being able to contribute to these spaces. And um, it was an honor to be amongst those that were involved. So, thank you all for the work you're doing and keep on going. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you to Jolly for giving us her time and sharing that with us. Someone who has been giving us their time and their expertise and their skills and their heart and their mind and just their, you know, just their whole dopeness has been uh, our uh, engineer here, Brendan, who when you all hear the sound effects on this show, when you hear the music, when you hear the unique things that make small doses sonically even more uh, enticing, you're hearing the the creative expression of Brendan. And today marks not only Brendan's birthday, so happy birthday, Brendan, but it is also uh, his last recording with us here at Small Doses. And I told him he was going to have to come on camera, so I don't know what he's waiting for. Uh,
1: (laughs) I was waiting for the introduction.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But But thank you. Thank you for the lovely words. I appreciate that. I'm I'm humbled by them. Brendan, you know you are one of my favorite right whites. And... uh, (laughs) Um you know I I really just this was my first venture into the podcast world and you and Rebecca have made that so enjoyable. Rebecca's not going nowhere though. Rebecca's not going anywhere. Rebecca's still with us. Um but you've really like helped to shape this this podcast as more than just like me talking but as a sound and as like a unique space and then you took that also to my book to small doses for the audible that we did. And so I just really appreciate the earnestness and the commitment that you've made to keeping this show at a certain high level of quality. And I know that whatever you are going on to next, they should be so lucky to work with you. This is not the last time that we will work together because when when I connect with folks, we're connected for life. So just know All that. All right, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, so much. And, uh, and, you know, honestly, thank you for the opportunity it's uh it, it is rare to find yourself in a position particularly in a technical field to have the freedom to stretch yourself creatively and i thank you genuinely from the bottom of my heart for that
0: ah oh, brendan we love you so much so you know fly spread your wings and fly <laughs> and uh i can't wait to see where creativity stretches to next thank you so much namaste namaste SkyBands Avenue, a
1: podcast <clears throat> a podcast network.